The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Of the Rocky Sound, Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late for some of you, and um, but I'm pretty sure we're gonna make make it worth your while. Genevieve, how you doing over there? I'm doing all right, thank you. Doing okay. Yeah, excited. A bit I'm, tired, I'm quite, but definitely, definitely excited. Yeah, I think we're we're both excited, and and it's a, an interesting day here in LA because we've gotten quite a lot of rain. Yeah, I think that's an understatement. Honestly, like. <laughs> A this lot. is this is not why I moved here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> California, it's the the state of sun and oranges and what? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into all the conspiracy here in just a minute because tonight we have a really special guest. If you're a fan of Back to the Future, you might have heard their name before. It's Marty McFly. This is the actual Marty, the Marty McFly. McFly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but we have we have a guest, and we're gonna find out why. We're calling him Marty McFly. Uh, why don't we uh, uh, check and hopefully, fingers crossed, our connection is working. And by the way, if anybody has questions, feel free to post in the chat room. Tweet us at WOTR Radio on Twitter or Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash West of the Rockies. And we will mm -hmm. be happy to pass your question along to tonight's guest. Marty, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just perfectly um and i believe uh, uh, you're located in hill valley correct uh, that's correct i'm uh, broadcasting live tonight from the uh, hill valley auditorium everybody's in their best behavior around here that is so very good. Uh, how's, how's the, how's the... it's a it's a small but dedicated crowd how is it, was that doc brown i heard in the background clapping that, that's it all right, cool. <laughs> I, I will stop with all these bad Back to the Future jokes <laughs> now. Uh, Marty, thank you for, for being with us tonight. We, I know that we're, we're having a few laughs, but some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight might be a bit serious, but you know, we'll, I think uh, people will find it interesting not, nonetheless. But first of all, obviously, you know, it's not every day that we get somebody on, on the show using uh, an alias. Uh, Marty McFly, why are you going by that name? Well, I guess it's a subject matter, Frank. Um, we're talking about something called uh, Project Blue Book as an investigation of UFOs. Mm -hmm. And I guess the point I want to make is that the name Marty McFly is just as real as the investigation of UFOs. <laughs> so it's real because Marty existed, right? <laughs> like my childhood is not a Just lie. as real as the Project Blue Book investigation wow. of UFOs. Wow. Um, obviously, the implication here is that the, the, the whole Project Blue Book was um, nothing more than, than uh, uh, smoke and mirrors, so to speak. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit of what was the purpose of Project Blue Book? Well, I'm kind of a, a, a student of history here, you know, and okay. I, I got into this a, a few weeks ago because I've always been really interested in uh, the, the phenomena in the skies, whatever you want to call it. And um, I saw this uh, article on CNN that the, the Project Blue Book files were now online. Mm -hmm. And being a big fan of uh, aerial phenomena, uh, couldn't resist and uh, started looking into it. And uh, it's a great slice of history. It's not just 
the files that are there or were there for a week online. It's right. um, a lot of uh, what were once top secret documents that have been declassified mm-hmm. and are now available in a lot of different places. And they're a great slice of history that show uh, human beings for who they really are. Not as good people or bad people, but people in a difficult situation uh, making out as best they could. Wow. And um, you said that, you know, these uh, documents were declassified and they were online and, and it seems that they were uh, taken down. Do you know the reason why the, the documents were removed from um, public viewing on the Internet? Well, you know, I, I saw an explanation for it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure what the what the real explanation was. They were up for a week and uh, they're not there anymore. Um, there are a number of... Um, I like to avoid the term UFO because it's a fabricated term. Um, but there are uh, similar reports available at other government websites like the FBI's vault. Um, the uh, the uh, Central Intelligence Agency has some files on UFOs. And, uh, you know, so the, the NICAP, National Investigative Committee on Aerial Phenomena, uh, has files on them. You can find them in any number of places. And uh, I know that, you know, when we first started talking, um, you were uh, telling me some of the, the concerns as far as, um, you know, going through these documents and I guess some of the uh, 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 flags, if you will, that, that it could raise. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what, what are some of the, the uh, security concerns that, that you feel surround this research that, that you've done? Well, any... any uh any research that concerns um, a project that was once classified, I think, is um, something to take seriously. Because even though a project may be declassified, the agenda of that project may still exist under another project name. So I think we always have to be careful about what we do and mm-hmm. uh, you know, name calling and making fun of people who were really maybe just doing the best they can. Uh, who was behind Project Blue Book? Was it military, um, uh, the CIA, the, the, uh, another branch of the government? Uh, who were the people that were putting all this together? It started out as, a, as an Air Force project that was sponsored by the agency. And by the agency, you mean the CIA? Yeah. And it started out under the name Project Grudge. Wow. And if ever there was anything in a name... That was it. Why? And you can imagine, you know, if you had a project, a research project named Grudge, uh-huh. it would probably reveal something about the that research not really being serious research. Um, could I just butt in here? And um, you're talking about uh, how this information was taken off the Internet. Uh, why would they put it on there in the first place in that case? Uh, what would their motivation be or what could they get out of that? Everything that is available online today was uh, uh, the result of FOIA requests, and that's a Freedom of Information Act request, pounded at by many people, many organizations over time. And I think that the agencies have put them there because they no longer consider them to be sensitive or the information inside of those uh, those documents. Um, that's... Um I think Skype has a new yeah, apparently advertising Apparently, Skype has now video advertising. <laughs> during, during a call. Wow. Were you asking? Okay, Genevieve. No, had, I was. Yeah. I just asked that question. But well, no, that, I was, I was, okay, back, back to your question of why they would put these documents there. Mm-hmm. Many of the documents are pretty heavily redacted. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're blacked out. Yeah. Um, and um, they're, they're, it's been decades since uh, these projects were in existence. Mm-hmm. So um, now you're, you're talking about these documents and, and, and saying how they give a very interesting view of, of uh, of this particular time in uh, history, um, sure. what can you tell me about that? What 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 did you uh, uncover uh, looking through these documents? Well, I guess first we kind of have to to go back in in history to look mm-hmm. at the context where these um, these documents came about and these programs came about. Okay, um, this was the end of or the the post World War II era. Um, there was a lot of uh, activity around uh, WMD development, okay. uh, nuclear type stuff, other stuff too, and uh, project Project Blue Book was developed during a time where the United States was intently interested in not only its own nuclear program but other nuclear programs, and um, also. To give you a background, uh, at the end of World War II, there was an operation called Paperclip. Mm-hmm. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, of course, of course. It was it was the roundup of 1,600 ger- German scientists and their families, and uh, transporting them to the United States, where they were uh, attended by their new taskmasters, the people at the agency. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, that brought a whole lot of problems with it, because we knew for certainty that there would be Soviet agents among them. Wow. And even then, we knew that they this, this group of scientists would be a magnet for Soviet spies in the United States. Wow. We, you know, we had a, a host of, of projects, including uh, Blue Book and its predecessor, which I'll call Grudge, just for the, it's a shorter word. Um, uh, another one was called... Um, you might have heard of this, MK Ultra. Oh, of course, yes. Right, and its predecessor, Bluebird. It's funny, they do these, these uh, rebranding uh, names, and you have to give the agency credit because uh, maybe it's like you know some kind of graveyard, graveyard humor during this very serious time. Mm-hmm. They would have these really, really clever names like, you know, Blue Book is, is something that you might get from a used car salesman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Bluebird, you know, for the for MK Ultra and the experiments they were doing, basically uh, dosing people with all kinds of, of horrific chemical agents, including LSD and uh, you know scopolamine and you know methadrine and barbiturates and heroin and was, I don't I don't know that it was really mind control mm-hmm. as much as it was a way to get inside these these little scientific uh, minds and control them through potentially embarrassing episodes to threaten their security clearances. Wow. Um, and by, mid, you know, I, I kind of have an idea, but I just want to hear your opinion. By embarrassing episodes, what what is that uh, in reference to? What, what would be an example of an embarrassing episode? Well, um, put, on your, put on your imagination cap mm-hmm. for a minute. Okay, you're a you're a you're a German scientist inside the United States. Mm-hmm. You've been given a false identity, mm-hmm. and you're cl- you have family maybe, right? And you certainly have a job, and you're clinging to that job, right? And that job all depends on your security clearance. Mm-hmm. Without that security clearance, 
you're going to be out of a job and you're probably going to go be going back to Germany and facing some very unpleasant proceedings. Uh, one of the uh, the at least one of the the more prominent German scientists that, that was brought over, uh, you know, during Project Paperclip was uh, Bernard von Braun. Uh, now this to me it sounds like it backs up the uh, the uh, idea or the theories that a lot of people had that Germany was working on some uh, type of space program they were developing some kind of advanced spacecraft because Bernard von Braun was one of the main scientists that was working on these rockets and you know lo and behold all these scientists are transplanted to the US and then we have NASA and et cetera, et cetera. Is that something that you found as you went through these documents? After Operation Paperclip came into being, and we don't, we only know about this recently, the trail kind of goes cold mm -hmm. because these, uh, these scientists were all uh, giving, given fake identities. Okay. And uh, the only thing that we know is that, is that people like uh, Hubertus Strughold, one of the scientists um, of some renown, because he had a building named after him, mm -hmm. um, wound up in some war crimes proceedings for um, human experiments at Dachau. Wow. And he, he was actually in three different investigations, was never completely exonerated because he died during the last investigation. Wow. So that, that gives you <laughs> an idea. These, these, were, these were not exactly Boy Scouts here. Right, right. And it seems like that, you know, that the government did have some leverage to, you know, in a way kind of twist their arm a little bit into working for the U.S. and not letting them stray too far. Hence why I well, guess it's they would have... a pretty have... good deal for both sides, you know. It's either be killed or work for us in a way. <laughs> the expression was hire them or hang them. Yeah. You know? Let's hire them. Yeah. Also, it, it, imagine this. It's, it's, um, it's not just a matter of cracking the whip on these people. Mm -hmm. what the, the, the big prize for us would be able to find one of these uh, either sources or agents among the German scientists working for the Soviet Union and turn them so that we ha would have eyes and ears inside the Soviet Union. Right, yeah, because some, some of the scientists ended up going with the Soviets. Here, here's the thing, and, and, and we'll, we'll sort of do a little bit of a fast-forward from uh, paperclip mm -hmm. to the early uh, nuclear experiments. Mm -hmm. um, there's some evidence to suggest that the Germans uh, had the first successful nuclear test in March of 1945. Wow. There was there was at least one witness who reported something. It was a bright flash, as as bright as the sun, mm -hmm. and generating a wind. And this is in uh, uh, in Thuringia, which is in central Germany, in March of '45. Also in May of '45, we intercepted a U-boat that was loaded with 1,200 pounds of enriched uranium, wow. and plans for uh, 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 the EME 262, the the, the German uh, Messerschmitt jet fighter. Uh, plans for V2s, uh, formulas for sarin gas, and recipes for uh, biological agents. Uh, it was headed for Japan. I don't imagine it was it was on a, a peaceful uh, mission to Japan. But uh, so you know, th these were the stakes with the with German technology at the end of World War II. Now we asked about the Russians and their sophistication in the space program. The Russians were hot on uh, the Soviets. I have to say that were hot on our tail, technologically speaking. Right, right. We launched the first, our first successful nuclear test in um, July of 1945. 
the Russians launched their first nuclear test in 1949, only four years behind us. Wow. Then in 1952, we had the first uh, successful thermonuclear test over some atoll in the South Pacific that I'm sure doesn't exist anymore. Right, right. And it was 450 times bigger than the bomb that we uh, uh, dropped on Hiroshima. Mm. So, I mean... That is that is a railroad train full of uh, boxcars stuffed with TNT from San Francisco to Denver. That's how much explosive wow. power that was. Wow. And the Russians detonated their first thermonuclear device, their first hydrogen bomb, six months after after that in 1953. So that's the that's how close the Soviets were to us in in our technology, and that's I think why a lot of these prog. Pro, projects and programs came about that is really fascinating uh to see how yeah i mean it was it was a really it was a really tight race and i think that that kind of sets up the uh uh the stage for uh like you said you know these projects and their names and and what was the purpose of these projects and real uh quick uh you mentioned that um these documents uh, were released through uh freedom of information act requests um to your knowledge and, 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 you know, from the research you've done, do all these documents check out? Yes. And I've, I've, uh, I've confirmed these documents uh, with the sponsoring agencies, and they all absolutely check out. They're either from the government agencies themselves or uh, contractors who worked for the government. Like, um, you know, one of them is from the RAND Corporation, one of them is from the University of Colorado. Uh, both of them were under contract to the federal government at the time. And everybody has fessed up to the authenticity of these documents. And obviously this is a lot of work for, uh, for one individual to, to undertake. Were you uh, asked to do this by anyone? No, this is a completely uh, voluntary. I'm, I'm kind, of a, kind of a history buff, like I said. And so specifically in regards to this... Um what first triggered you to decide to to want to explore this on your own? Well, gosh, it's like like James Bond meets meets E.T. at Stalag 13. I mean, how much better does it get? <laughs> okay, so just outright genuine interest. And, hey, outright I'll genuine in. interest, okay. sure. Um, and uh, before we get into the topic of UFOs and all this, are you a believer in UFOs yourself? I'm an agnostic. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the, the, the best research is going to be done by people who don't go into the project with a belief one way or the other. Um, I, I think that I'm, I'm less of an agnostic now than I was a couple of months ago, having looked at these documents and seeing what they mean, and there's a lot of, lot of surprise in them. There was for me, anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm much, I'd say, much less of an agnostic, but still an agnostic right now. Now, you mentioned that the word UFO was a fabrication. Um, yes. Prior to that, uh, what were uh, some of the uh, terms used um, to refer to um, these unidentified flying craft? Well, in, in World War II, they were simply referred to as Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. um, they've been called uh, everything under the sun, of uh, uh, religious apparitions, um, some forms have been called uh, green fireballs. Uh, there were flying saucer was coined by a guy named Kenneth Arnold, who was 
flying a plane looking uh, on a, on a uh, I think it was a plane rescue uh, uh, effort over Mount Rainier when he saw this this uh, formation of things, saucer-shaped things, mm-hmm. flying along at about 1,000 miles an hour, which was twice anything we could do at the time. And he said they look, it looked like they were saucers skipping across a pond. So that's where the term flying saucer came from. So, you know, a lot of different names before UFO, and it's not UFO, it's pronounced UFO, was mm-hmm. coined by Project Grudge under the, the sponsorship of, uh, of the agency. I think... Right now, obviously, like I said, we we've set the stage. We kind of know more or less what was the um, the the environment at the time, the political environment uh, of the of the late '40s into the '50s. Now, we have this Project Blue Book, and the point of the project was to to investigate these sightings that you know army personnel and civilians all across the country were having. If that was not the real purpose, what was the 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 point of keeping this project alive for you know however many years and logging all this information well that's that's the that's the the 30 million dollar question at this point Mm -hmm. if you look at if you look at uh, um one of these one of these documents it's the one it's the it's the project grudge uh documents if you look at the the stated uh purposes of that you know the, the 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 finding was predetermined Mm-hmm. What Project Grudge was going to was saying is that, as far as the media is concerned, certainly anybody who files a report on these objects is either stupid, or lying, mm-hmm. or crazy, True. and all of those are not going to help your security clearance. And furthermore, they said we're going to we're going to announce that to the press. Wow. And they, but they also there was another uh, uh, kind of a, a footnote that wasn't to be released to the press. And that is that um, um, this could be used as psychological warfare. And I believe that it certainly could have been used as psychological warfare on the German scientists that we had here. Wow. And any Soviet agents that were trying to recruit the German scientists or get information from them. That's some pretty insane stuff. I mean, it's almost like a, a really, the stuff you see in movies with like agents and double agents. I can understand the uh, need for secrecy. However, I've always felt that the government was very cynical. Like you said, you know, they tried to discredit the witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. However, they were still giving it quite a lot of attention to this whole UFO thing. Now, obviously, we have Project Blue Book. We have all these sightings. We have, you know, the, the German scientists and the Russians hot on, on our tail as far as the famous space race. Why don't you tell me if you found anything in the documents uh, regarding the, uh, the, the need to get to space? Was that something that was discussed in any of these documents? Because obviously, once we got the Apollo missions, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people claim that there were UFO sightings that the astronauts were not in the liberty to discuss. Any, any pilot would, uh, would tell you, mm-hmm. uh, reporting um, a, and I'm going to call them here on out UAPs because it's a better term. UFO is, uh, because it's a design term, it's sort of, it's designed to be too narrow and it's, it has a, it has a, a, a bias built into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're sort of preconditioned to reject it. Like you, you know, when you use the term in polite company or in public, you'll see a lot of raised eyebrows and snickers and giggles and stuff like that. So right. I, I like to use the, the term UAP. Okay. It stands for unidentified aerial phenomena. 
it's a much broader term, and it's you know doesn't evoke the little green men and the aluminum foil caps and all. Right. So uh, um, back back to your question. Uh, yeah, so we have, you know, these uh, uh, reports of astronauts that claim to have seen UFOs, et cetera, et cetera. Was, was there any mention of UFO sightings in the space program in these documents at all? There, there was for a while, a very short period of time. And was, uh, the, the, the first, uh, the first uh, high-altitude uh, flight, and I think that it was uh, an X-1 or an X-2, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was a guy named Walker. I don't. I don't. I have. I actually have that report in my files before uh, the site disappeared. Mm-hmm. I downloaded that one, and um, there was a report of a UAP. <laughs> this is a great one. He. Uh, this guy. This. This guy had broken through like the stratosphere, of the ionosphere. He was like way the frig up there, wow. way up there, and traveling at supersonic speeds. I don't know, like. Mach four or five wow. or something crazy like that, and he looked out his window, and here's this thing about. He said it was about the size of a pack of cigarettes, mm-hmm. keeping up with him, really? and finally passed him. Now, I didn't, you know, when I when I when I read this and and the and the report included newspaper clippings because he talked to the press, mm-hmm. um, and I said, well, I gosh, I've never heard of this Walker guy. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't really hear too much about him after that because he broke one of the taboos. He started talking about something he shouldn't have been talking about. Oh wow! And as as we would find out in many of his reports, um, and and it, it was even reported in an in an Air Force textbook mm-hmm. that was uh, printed in 1968 and then discontinued discontinued in 1970, that pilots were punished for talking about uh, the UAPs. Wow. Punished, right, right? So you know, even though uh, it apparently happened, we didn't hear about it. And there's a reason. There are two reasons we didn't hear about it. Number one, the pilots and the astronauts tended not to talk about them because they were career killers. Uh, number two, we had another program in place called Operation Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about that one? Yeah, yeah, that name rings a bell. <laughs> everybody, everybody in the press ought to be aware of Operation Mockingbird. It was. Um, Uh, brought forth by the agency uh, during uh, a time, uh, predi- particularly you know after this, uh, the Soviets uh, detonated their first hydrogen bomb as a way to control media. Mm-hmm. And uh, the agency basically controlled 25 U.S. newspapers, a television network, a wire service, a couple of influential magazines, mm-hmm. and these all had the status of being sources that were quoted. Right. Right. So um, by controlling the media and being able to uh, strip these any accounts, any any uh, UFO accounts or play them down or the play the people up that that talked about them as either, you know, stupid or lying or crazy, mm-hmm. um, really kind of tamp down any reports of these UAPs. It's hard for me to imagine that the the, the, the UAPs simply stopped. Right. It's more likely that we didn't hear about them because they either weren't reported or if they were reported, they didn't make it in the media because the agency, for I think a pretty good reason, was short-stopping these reports. Wow. Um, could I just check again? Um, did you anticipate the documents being taken off quite soon after being put online or uh, are there any documents you didn't get to download in time? Or did you just download them all? I mean, how did you do no, that? No, there's there there are I don't know. I, I didn't really count them when I first found them. I was I was shocked that they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that's why I 
you know, and any any researcher will tell you, get what you can while you can. Yeah. I didn't I didn't get every single document there. I got a few I got a few of the choice ones. Um I was still surprised that the site went down as soon as it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I got I got what I could. It sounds like uh, Operation Mockingbird is still uh, alive and well, <laughs> if you ask me. And, um... Well, you know, back back to back to the point. I I, I think that it was done mm-hmm. for pretty good reasons with pretty good results, because there's a there's a there's a term inside the the intelligence community that it's called the sausage factory. And that's that everybody wants a sausage, but nobody wants a factory. The fact is that the intelligence business is pretty ugly business. But we did make it through this very difficult time with our skins. Um, We have a question in the chat room from Professor Madness. He asks uh, if you've ever gotten any papers using the Freedom of Information Act that have not been blacked out. I know that a lot of documents are, you know, censored have, for the most part. Yeah, yeah it's like you see a lot of the, uh, information yeah, the, the big black marker. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 the place that, that I found, you know, I tell you what, I, I, I don't want to answer that for one reason. There was a place that I found mm-hmm. um, that wasn't actually a FOIA. It was an original source. Mm-hmm. And it was... Um, I don't. I don't even want to. I don't. I don't want to say it because I don't want to compromise it. But if you look among the government agencies, there are a lot of documents that they missed. There are a lot of documents yeah. that aren't completely redacted that still have the names in them. I was surprised when I found, um, and it and it wasn't really among the um, the uh, um, the documents that disappeared. It was it was another stack of documents that that are that are still there. How many witness names there were existing still on the documents right so i I don't want to say because you know it would make it easy Mm -hmm. for somebody to go through and say oh my gosh we missed something right you know right and so i I don't want to say i'm I'm sorry understandable there is actually another question from the same listener but you don't have to answer that straight away um the question is what's the biggest discovery you feel that you've made so that's quite an open question. So feel free to okay. Let me, t- let me give me a couple minutes with that. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, guess, I, I guess any any researcher, what you look for is something I would call structure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go through a, a stack of uh, of documents or files from different agencies, and what you're going to look for usually if there's if there's no controversy, if everything's if everything's pretty straight, then there's no real structure. Everything's pretty flat and everything's pretty consistent. Yeah. You know, it's like a, it's like a prairie. Right. What what surprised me here was the structure. It was like friggin' half dome, you know, or El Capitan rising up and then dropping down to the Grand Canyon. The one that really surprised me was the grudge documents as compared to the document, the policy documents before grudge and after grudge. Uh, what was uh, the surprising aspect of the Grudge documents? Well, before before Grudge, and and this is a um, policy, or I should say, it was a, a, a an analysis uh, by the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence regarding um, UAP. That number one, they existed, and number two, that we shouldn't ignore them. Mm-hmm. That was in 1948. Yeah. No, I was then, I was very surprised by how. Um clearly written the document was and that it wasn't what you would expect which is often 
a document full of jargon, mm. things you don't really understand. And I liked how they approached it very clearly. Yes, yes. And, and that, in a way, that surprised me because it ran contrary to what I understood the government's position to be. Yeah, yeah. So then I, I compare that to the, uh, like the, uh, the NSA monograph in 1968 mm -hmm. that agreed with the ONI analysis 20 years earlier that said, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's real and we can't ignore it. And then the RAND uh, analysis, uh, you know, the, the, the same year, it's, it's real and we can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the grudge document, that, that uh, the grudge policy that stood for 16 years and probably more, that we can just ignore this stuff. Yeah. And we should. <laughs> no, I really, I really like the uh, um, in the in the NSA analysis, which is, I mean, you know, whether it's national security or central intelligence, they're all the agency, right? And it was it was interesting that that twenty years after the fact that these people came up with the rattlesnake analogy, that mm -hmm. you're walking down a forest path and somebody ahead of you yells rattlesnake, you don't close your eyes and keep walking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You you have to do something about it. Right, and that's where the grudge documents really, really stood out to me. You know, back to the question, what what stood out to you, and and where did this all begin? So, you know, back to the structure. That's where the structure was. Yeah. So, it, at first, it seems like, well, oh, somebody made a mistake, or you know, Uncle Sam is stupid, or the Central Ag Intelligence Agency is dumb, or you know, one of those things. But it doesn't last for long. It starts nagging at you. It start. It keeps you awake at night. Yeah. And you're and you're wondering what. What is really going on here? And that's where you start looking. Okay. No, that's it's really interesting. And I hadn't read all of the later documents, but yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it makes you want to know why the sudden change, and but you don't just turn around and ignore something. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, now in the documents, we we obviously read about um, uh, UFO sightings, and and uh, there is uh, there is a. Uh, 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 an account of, uh, of uh, I believe it was a World War II veteran pilot who uh, engaged in a dogfight for uh, <laughs> uh, over 20, what was it, like 27 minutes. You know, it's really interesting. I, I, I've read um, uh, in websites and blogs everything from, you know, the Red Baron, you know, shot down a UFO to, you know, obviously these uh, uh, pilots were seeing things. And there is a, uh, another document later on where they're trying to explain where these craft come from. You know, could they possibly come from another planet? They even um, hypothesize the, 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 you know, the possibility that they could be from Mars or being one of the uh, few planets in the solar system that could possibly harbor any life. Did you find any more references to where they think these craft could be coming from if they were indeed extraterrestrial? In some of the earlier um, analyses, there was a there was a, a, a predecessor to Grudge called Sign, Project Sign, mm -hmm. and it seems to me that there was some discussion in there about possible planetary origin. You know whether it was you know Martian or or Jovian, you know from Jupiter, mm -hmm. um, or maybe Venus. I just thought that this was quite quite remarkable. <laughs> you know, it, it went from do do these things exist to well, where could these things come from? Um, 
that was really the only thing I ever picked up. And it, and it wasn't really, uh, there was no evidence or no reports or any, anything, any specific information given. It was, um, it was just theory about, you know, where these things could possibly come from and, you know, what, what the distances would be, what the times would be, you know, I mean, what we're looking at here is, you know, the, what kind of threat could, could these things pose to our national security? Could they be here lickety split or would they have to plan something years in advance? You know, I, that's, all I, that, that's all I found. Um, it seems I don't know how far it was explored further down the line, but uh, the first possibility or probability was that... Um, if it was an alien, and I mean alien as in not from this country, the number one suspect was always the Soviets. I mean, they they were the main ones if it were to have come from a, like a another, another country, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know how far that was, um, like I said, explored further down the line, but that's what I read in the first. That, that was, I think, one of the the first major concerns. Mm -hmm. Is is it is this a Soviet technology or you know Chinese technologies? You know something we're going to get uh, surprised with, and uh, that was pretty well explained in the uh, uh, the nineteen sixty eight Air Force textbook that these sightings have been going on for fifty thousand years. Yeah. So, um, you know, whatever it is, it's been around here for a while, and it's it's nothing particularly new. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I like to, you know, refer to the dog and car analogy. You know, if you, you've, you've probably seen dogs chase cars, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen one catch a car? <laughs> no, and, I'd like and, to. And, not, and not what would a say. dog do if it caught a car? They wouldn't know what to do with it. Well, that's that's precisely it. and I, And I think that's... Where um, they, th th there was a there was a report by the the Cond it's called the Condon Report. University of Colorado did a uh, a report that was pretty much in lockstep with what the Air Force wanted them to to the wanted the finding to be. Mm -hmm. But their finding was that um, the, this these UAP are not a uh, threat to our national security at least at this time. And I, I kind of have to agree with that finding because there's a lot of evidence that, that we have fired on these UAPs many, many, many times, and they've never fired back. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that we could be well regarded with bemusement as the dog in this case oh, wow. by these passing cars. And what would be the point in messing up your bumper you know, on one of these mongrels type thing? Um, so, uh, you know, so to, to think that they could be a, a Soviet thing, I think was a, probably a, a primary concern, but they're so technologically far in advance. If, if the UAP is uh, of some, you know, foreign or, you know, extraterrestrial or, you know, you know, superpower, they're so far ahead of us, we'd just be barking at the car. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you'd think that people, the government, whoever is involved with this, would realize that it, it's I don't know very naive to to just start shooting or attempting to attack something like that, which is very possibly probably out of their league. You know. <laughs> did Did you get a chance to um, read the um, the I, I guess you'd call it the gunfight at the OK Corral in Kentucky? There was a family of eleven. Oh yes, 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 no, yes. No, I didn't. Where ET paid this 
these, uh, you know, nice Kentucky family a, a visit yeah. one evening. And uh, the, the family unloaded with everything they had, shotguns and pistols. And I think they were, they, they, the, the bullets were bouncing off of these creatures. And the creatures seemed just tickled by it. And uh, I'm, the, the, the family of 11 were so frightened at the end of that episode. I mean, the, 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 the creature, whatever it was, walked away unharmed. They had unloaded. There were 50 shotgun and pistol shells left there behind. And they were so freaked out. That they moved away from their farm. Wow! I think yeah. I would. <laughs> no, that 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 was such an amazing. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading that, and that that, that was, was in the so... Air Force textbook that got removed. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just feel someone someone that's you know, people like people that are apparently taking care of an entire nation. I feel that they should have more foresight and think about what they're doing more rather than just delving into the depths that they don't really know about well you, you see these in the in the in the papers here these uh, paradoxes between mm -hmm. um the military commanders particularly mm -hmm. and and the policy of the administration and the agency not to talk about the uap where the military wanted to talk about the uap in fact the, the first four directors of the agency were all military I call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse because okay. they were there from 1946 until 1952. And they try as they could, try as they might, couldn't really, you know, they were constantly surprised by the Soviets. So they got replaced by a lawyer. Alan Dulles was the first non-military director. He was a, he was a lawyer. Okay. Um, one of these guys, his name was um, uh, Roscoe Hillencotter, I believe. Um, he was a, he was a. I think he was a. Is an admiral. After he left the, as the agency director, he became a member of the board of directors at NICAP, hmm. which is an independent investigative uh, agency, and they have a pretty good website right now. NICAP, N-I-C-A-P, dot O-R-G. There's a lot of good information there, and here was a guy who. You know, publicly, was kind of strapped to this policy of not talking about UAP. Mm -hmm. But privately, in his later life, he became active in discussing UAP. So two schools of thought on this, depending, you know, whether you're part of the agency culture or you're part of the military culture. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, we're going to be taking a, a break shortly, and we got, we got a, a, a few more questions that we want to ask you. But before we do that, I want to pass along another question by Professor Madness. He wants to know, what is the biggest government cover-up in your opinion? Well, I think that it wasn't really a cover-up. I think that um, as I look at this ensemble of um, uh, policies and, and information, that it it looks to be that it was more of a counterintelligence operation than, than an investigative operation. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't really call it a cover-up because, you know, counterintelligence or intelligence by its very nature is uh, is deceptive. So I couldn't call it a government cover-up. So I, I can't say that I saw any evidence of a, of a government cover-up, but I do see some signs of something that could have been a fairly successful counterintelligence operation. Wow. 
Okay. And uh, I know that, um, you know, one of the questions that I want to ask you, and, and we'll tackle that on the other side of the break, is your uh, personal beliefs in extraterrestrial life. And we want to talk more about that and some other stuff that, uh, uh, I mean, this is obviously, as, as you can tell, a very fascinating topic for me. I, 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 ever since I was a kid, I, I was into this whole UFO thing, um, thanks to my dad, actually, because he used to buy the books. And I remember reading a lot of these books with stories from former military uh, personnel that had, you know, come forward to, you know, share their experiences. Of course, we had, you know, Betty and Barney Hill, the, the famous abduction case mm -hmm. that happened during that time. Right. As you were talking about um, how the uh, agency was going to these great lengths to discredit somebody, it reminded me of uh, Betty and Barney Hill and how a lot of... Um, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but, you know, one of the main uh, uh, ideas that they were pushing uh, uh, to discredit them was that, oh, you know, they were just an, the, an interracial couple dealing with, you know, the uh, trauma of being one of the first interracial couples during, uh, you know, such a segregated, you know, time in, in, in our country's history. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny to see how uh, these tactics like our Operation Mockingbird and just how they try to control and manipulate the uh, public's perception of this phenomena and the people they have experienced it. Uh, it, it really boggles my mind. And I know I said it in a bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, but I do feel like Operation Mockingbird, it's still in effect when I see the news and listen to the news and read the newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. I, I still believe that, that, you know, information is controlled uh, heavily in, in, in the way that is uh, 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 presented to the public. I'd, I'd have to chime in with, with the uh, 1968 NSA monograph. Um, keep your eyes open and watch your step. <laughs> wow. Uh, and we'll definitely be doing that. So, uh, Marty, if you, if you got, a, if you got a, a, a couple of minutes, would you mind just hanging on the line? We're going to just play a, a, you got a song or two, and then we're going to jump back into this topic. Standing by. So, enjoy the tunes. We're going to be right back. What's the Rockies on the Independent FM? Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Don't stray too far from your computer. We're going to be right back. What's up, guys? This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And you're listening to West of the Rockies with Frank. This portion of the show is sponsored by Haunted Orange County, your premier source for all things haunted in and around OC. From haunted history ghost walks to ghost group hunting expeditions at some of SoCal's most haunted destinations. Make your fall plans early and book an upcoming tour or investigation today. Visit hauntedoc.com. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late. I want to thank everybody for the tweets and the retweets and the messages and the questions and all that good stuff. It's always appreciated, guys. Um, we, we ha we're happy that you enjoy our little program here on the Independent FM. 
broadcasting through iHeartRadio and all that other good stuff. As always, Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook, our good buddy Jimmy Jaime Roque on Twitter, um, Genevieve Uwe on Twitter. Also mm-hmm. catch her on No Added Flavors Thursday nights right here on this same station. Yep. Accepting it, requests it, and all that good stuff. Twitter it. Um, now uh, let me let me bring Marty back on the line real quick. Marty, this is the this is the the time when we all give out our social media, et cetera, et cetera. But I understand that uh, <laughs> you wish to <laughs> remain anonymous. So throw out your address to everyone right now. <laughs> Marty McFly at hillvalley.com. There we go. <laughs> um, now, I saw a question in the chat room. I think somebody was asking who was that that I just played. I don't know if that was the question, but I'll be happy to tell people that that was Jim Sullivan, that second track. One I, of my I thought uh, all time favorite cities. What's happening right now because they just joined and started oh, listening. Well. I don't know. That's how I interpreted it. I'm not sure. Well, I saw it as who was okay, playing. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's uh, uh, Jim Sullivan's uh, from uh, 1969. And uh, um, Marty, you will probably find this interesting. Uh, that record, uh, like I said, was uh, w- was released in 1969 by a little little known folk singer named Jim Sullivan, um, and uh, it was the first real album where. It talked blatantly about UFOs, and the title of the album is actually UFO, and all the songs are about, you know, going out to the desert, uh, you know, uh, riding down the highway and being taken up by a uh, UFO. Interestingly enough, in 1975, uh, Jim Sullivan left uh, his family looking for work as a musician in, in Nashville from uh, L.A., and uh, and about a day into his journey, he mysteriously disappeared, and his car was found on the side of the road with all his belongings inside. And to this day, nobody knows what happened to Jim Sullivan. We hope that he was taken by a UFO, and it's uh, jamming with the ETs out there or something. Jamming. Jamming. <laughs> um, could I just quickly ask again? Um, I know I was asking you about um, your motivation for, you know, research into this topic. Sure. Um Usually people approach a subject like that because they want a certain answer. And, you know, there's a, whether you want to call it bias or, you know, anything along those lines. Did you ever go into this wanting an affirmative or wanting to know that it's not true or wanting to find out that the government is lying? I mean, was there anything like that or were you agnostic from the outset and you were just intrigued? I, tr- I try to be agnostic, mm-hmm. but I, I would be a liar if I didn't tell you that I didn't want to find something. Mm-hmm. I think that we all would love to have a close encounters of the third kind experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back thousands, mm-hmm. if not millions of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we want it's it's. We're at the top of the food chain here. We, you know, we're, we want to look up into the sky and see some evidence of something above us. And, um, you know, I really, I, I was kind of a skeptic. I didn't think I'd find anything mm-hmm. inside mm-hmm. these documents. And I was surprised at what I found. Uh, um, like that, I said, I'm less of an agnostic now no, than I was I mean, a couple months I, ago. I, if I had discovered these documents in the way you had i would have been baffled especially as you know as an enthusiast or as someone interested in this i would have been like wow honestly i mean i don't know what that was like for you when you 
when you first found out about the release of these documents and you know the the time period in which you you read them you downloaded them and then the, they disappeared i mean i can't imagine what that was like for you well i, I tell you it's it's still you just as you're talking about it, I'd go back there and i get i get chills i would it would it would keep me up at night yeah i would be thinking about this because first of all when you when you do good research you want to go through you want to start as an agnostic you want to go through as an agnostic you want to end as an agnostic you want to give it give it some time to to percolate and then maybe look at it again yeah. so i mean where i first went with this is is to look at it with a humorous bend you know to to put these these uh, incongruous facts together in some way to to be able to laugh at them because you know laughter is the best humor the laughter is the best remedy after or maybe humor is the best remedy um, mm -hmm. so at the end of this I just wanted to have a good laugh because they were kind of disturbing so then you know I got to go back and look at them again you know I started mm -hmm. you know forming ideas about not, well not just how silly they are but what can I do with them to help make sense of them mm -hmm. you know but still they're remarkable documents any way you look at it uh, now, Marty, let me ask you um, something. You know, uh, doing this show, we we are very fortunate to to interview some some really interesting people, such as uh, yourself. And in the past, uh, we've gotten uh, a chance to interview uh, you know Travis Walton and and Laura Eisenhower. She was sharing with us some information uh, that she came across growing up on Eisenhower and. She is, she's she is very firm in her stance that uh, her her great grandfather, um, General Eisenhower, did have a meeting I should say with entities not from this earth. I'll say that much. Funny you should say that. Please feel free to go there. Funny you should say that because there's there's an there's an enigma in one of these documents. It's one I call it one of the cleaner documents, mm -hmm. and that's the the NSA monograph. It's about ten pages long. It's in the stack. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a handwritten note. Could I just ask what you mean by um, cleaner? Well, you know the the the, the grudge uh, documents. You know because they it looks like a uh, uh, part of a uh, you know possibly a counterintelligence operation. I don't know that we'll ever know, but it's one explanation. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know the, the the cleaner documents like the ONI analysis, the the one that that you remarked on at the beginning that was very straightforward you know very common sense yeah uap yeah. is real and uh, we can't ignore them that's a clean document you know the the grudge document it's just it's rife with contradictions yeah um and then but the but the nsa document is another clean document if you look at that there's some handwriting on that that i could never figure out i think it refers to 1952 mm -hmm when I believe Eisenhower was in office <clears throat> and I can't I couldn't really make it out and the author's name has been redacted could so we you, don't know who was you, talking here but uh, Marty, it looked like something happened in Washington in 1952 I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say that there was a you know, meeting between ET and Ike it's an it's an enigma inside a clean document uh, quick question sorry I didn't mean to uh, to butt in in there but um, we have all the documents uh, in front of us here can you direct us in in the direction of to where we could find that just to see what oh can... let me see here give me a second I can find it number 16 Frank 16, got it and what is your opinion after going through all these documents do you believe that uh, at least in part some of these sightings are of extraterrestrial craft I would say I would have to agree with the uh, 
the ONI analysis, the 48 analysis, and the NSA monograph and the RAND document that uh, UAP is real and it shouldn't be ignored. Beyond that, you know, anybody's guess. I think that the unfortunate thing about, um, you know, Bluebird and the NK, uh, MK Ultra is that it really kind of muddied the waters about everything. You know, when you look at, about, at all these accounts of, of these extraordinary sightings involving uh, UAP and creatures uh, uh, purportedly from UAP, mm-hmm. they were made during a time when the agency was dosing God knows who with God knows what. Hmm. So, um, you know, I want, I want to, be, I loved ET. I loved Close Encounters. Right. I want to believe in, um, in extraterrestrial life. I haven't seen enough evidence to convince me of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I want to say one thing about the, the technological advance side of the equation. Okay. These reports involved crafts, uh, quote, end quote, reaching way supersonic speeds, like, you know, Mach 10 in, in the Earth's mm-hmm. atmosphere without breaking the sound barrier. Now, the land, or pardon me, the airspeed record to this date is 1976 with an SR-71. It broke. Oh, uh, two th- It was two, it was two thousand one hundred miles an hour, just under Mach three. And that's the uh, the Blackbird, right? The, uh, that's the Blackbird, the and that's the standing record. Wow. That's almost forty years ago. Yeah, yeah. If if we got some technology in exchange for you know in the in this meeting, mm-hmm. I think we got burned because we haven't really seen anything in the way of. These the, the reports of these craft are really astonishing. Right, they can they can fly through the atmosphere without breaking the sound barrier. Mm-hmm. This is reportedly right. Yeah, at, at two thousand miles an hour and stop on a dime. Mm-hmm. I mean that would throw a pilot through the cockpit in a conventional aircraft, and wow. then reverse direction and go just as fast the other way or straight up, and we're nowhere near that. Now, you're saying that as far as extraterrestrial life, and, and sorry to bring back to this, do you believe in extraterrestrial life? Uh, I don't have an opinion on it. Okay. I, don't, I don't disbelieve it. I don't believe it. Okay. Yeah, uh, still agnostic and yep. non-biased, I guess. That's the best way to approach a research yep. subject. I, yeah, for me. Do you, is, is, uh, have you found in, in these documents anything that could maybe point to the possibility that the, that the government has covered up this uh, any type of finding that would lead someone to believe that there is extraterrestrial life. I, w- I want to be careful and 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 um, distinguish the word cover up from an intelligence operation. Okay. Because an intelligence operation, by its very nature, is a cover up. Mm. You know, an intelligence intelligence operations aren't wrong; they're necessary like the sausage factory. Nobody wants to go inside the sausage factory. Who wants the sausage? Nobody wants the factory. So, um, you know, like, for example, you have the, the Air Force textbook that was um, uh, published and then pulled two years later mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that talked about, you know, talked about uh, alien physiology. Not in specific terms, but in general terms. Yeah. You know, and, and when that comes in a science textbook, that is pulled from circulation, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying cover up, but I'm saying, well, you know, if, if that textbook was published without knowledge 
of, of uh, a, a, an intelligence operation or a counterintelligence operation, it's not really a cover-up. Yeah. Right, right. Now, in one of the documents, uh, we find one titled UFO Alert. What is that about? Oh, that was, uh, that was number one, I think. That was number one, yep. And that's, that's the ONI analysis. It's funny because we see the, well, uh, the, the ONI. the spoke yeah. about, the one that was surprisingly clear and well-documented. And, you know, what I really liked about it, it, it was like a, a science project analysis, essentially. Yes. There, there's I, one thing to say about this. And mm -hmm. this is, this is uh, one of the remarkable things. Um, there was a stack of documents that the, that the government, that the Air Force released in 2011, uh, grudge-related documents, including a memo that ordered the destruction of this document, which is, you know, does two things. It, 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 uh, it verifies the document with another document. That's what you want. You want documents that refer to one another. But it also lets you know that this was a very important document because a subsequent, subsequent memo ordered its destruction. Mm -hmm. Wow! Or the, all the all the copies were supposed mm -hmm. to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Obviously, somebody didn't do their job, or wouldn't have this. Or, or someone, yeah, someone purposely went against it because they thought it was important information. Well, I don't maybe, know or maybe possible. somebody just forgot to do their job that day. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just too naive, thinking that someone out there actually wants people to know. You know. <laughs> If you if you look at the top of the first page, it's funny not the not the not the slip on the first page, but I guess the second page. Okay. The word "top secret" is very haphazardly crossed out with a ballpoint yep. pen, so yep. you can still see you can "top still secret." Read it. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite funny. They do it in all of the documents. They just cross it out with the almost. Well, they usually do it with a sharpie. Well, you know, it seems where like it's all blocked it out, out, but you can yeah. actually see the word "top secret" through this, and it's just kind of a thin it's line of ink. <laughs> Um, but I, I liked their, um, they were talking about the three, I, I'm trying to find this, the place in the document right now, but they were talking about the three types of UAPs or UFOs, as they may have called them at the time, um, that were generally seen. And from what I remember, it was the disc, the cigar, mm -hmm. and what was the third one? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't, uh, there were three, I know that there was the, the, this, the, the, they call them green fireballs. Yes, that's right. That's right. Like fireballs. And yeah, I like their, um, the possibility they were exploring that maybe we're just seeing one type of craft from different angles and given their size, it's very possible that they were all of the same shape, but we were just, or people were just seeing them from different angles and they were taking all these possibilities into account. And I feel that they were, they were at that point still quite unbiased. And it, 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 the report was, uh, the earlier reports were a lot rawer than the later yes. ones. And you, you can tell when they start start realizing the implications of this information and they start you know working with that and trying to manipulate it one of my favorite uh reports in here i think it's called the, the alabama the word alabama is in the title i don't know the number of it off the top of my head but mm -hmm. a rocket scientist sees a uap it's like a classic something out of close encounters a formation triangular formation he and his wife and three children see this thing and uh 
the uh, the government tries to convince him that it was you know he was he was it was the planet Venus or swamp gas or something, and he writes up two and a half pages of equations proving them wrong. Oh wow! <laughs> that, this is I think this is where um, you have a, a you start to feel a little bit sorry for the people who were on this project. And, and what they were supposed to do and what they were up against. And eventually they wrote this one off as unexplained, which wow. isn't, isn't too many of them. That, mm -hmm. you know, they, if they were forced to concede, that's where they put it. But most of the time they would just say, oh, it was swamp gas or weather balloon or psychological or something like that. But yeah. they, they tangled with the wrong dude on this one. Um, Marty, let's uh, skip forward to um, number seven, which is titled FLYOBRPT Procedures. What What is Flyover. that? Flyover. <laughs> Flyover Procedures. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Let me find that one here. Hold on a second here. All good. Which, which one is that, number seven? Uh, number seven. Flyover Procedure. Yes, indeed. Now, what is in this document? I, I love it. You know, the government, on one hand, is denying mm -hmm. flying objects, and on the other hand, is writing writing up a procedure on how to report them. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> this is uh, this is authored by uh, uh, General Hoyt Vandenberg, who was actually, um, I believe, the um, second uh, uh, agency director, one of the, one of the four horsemen. Um, and uh, at this point, it looks like. And this is uh, 1952. At this point, it looks like the the uh, the the Air Force, the military, might have been on to what the agency was doing, mm -hmm. but wasn't quite down with the whole program. You know, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't. It was a it was a one way ticket for uh, UAP reports. You know, they they would they would it was like the Roach Motel for information. It would check in. It would never check out. Right. And I think that. That uh, General Vandenberg was probably getting a little um, uh, concerned about, you know, inf information wasn't coming to him. Mm -hmm. Information was leaving his command. It was going to uh, Project Grudge, Need Blue Book at Wright Patterson, but nothing was ever coming out. And so I think he would be of the opinion, well, you know, we, we these these reports need to be filed without delay, right? Without delay, like right. lickety split. Get on that. Publicity is to be avoided. But um, I think he was kept out of the loop on this. I mean, that was the impression I got from this. Hearing you talk about this and, and how, you know, these agencies don't seem to really know what the other one is doing, it to me, it kind of um, supports my idea that to some extent, the government was designed in this manner to create these uh, all these agencies that none of them really know what the other one is doing, and they like it that way because I guess it makes it a lot easier to uh, go about your business and you know not have a whole lot of information uh, being leaked out. Is, uh, do you think that, that that is how the these agencies operate? I think that may be true to a greater extent today than it was at this time. Mm -hmm. You know, 1952... All the marbles were on the table. Yeah, these were these were, were war heroes. Nobody wanted to drop yeah. the ball. I think that this was a case of the military versus the agency. Okay, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the military and the agency, in in my um, view, is like oil and water. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think that the agency had turned um, uh, uh, Grudge Knee Blue Book into. Uh, an intelligence or counterintelligence operation without telling the Air Force. Yeah, I think the the problem is that 
nowadays, it, it, at least it seems to be the case that it's not water and oil anymore. It's it's oil and oil or water and water. And, it, you know, people don't have their interests in mind anymore. They have a, a greater interest that is... Is not the nation's ba greater Yeah, basically it's not being <laughs> a, a, a government for the people. Uh, yeah. I guess it's, it's... I guess that's the metaphor I'm getting at, yeah. Well, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, without giving too much away, I've seen uh, current signals that, that uh, times haven't changed that much with this regard. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, the, the latest uh, Senate uh, uh, Intelligence Subcommittee hearings last uh, November on the agency's... Uh, culpability in the uh, detainee mistreatment, you know, at uh, Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib, for example. Mm, um, right. You know, this was, this was the, agent, the agency's rules versus the military rules. Mm. Military has uh, uh, more rules. The agency has fewer rules. He, with the fewer rules, will always win. Wow. Always. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a question in the in the chat that had just scrolled by, and, and <laughs> I thought it was an interesting question. Um, and uh, the question, I believe, was, uh, you know, reading all this uh, specifically in reference to uh, uh, MK Ultra, uh, was there any mention of what was it, what were the doses of LSD that <laughs> were given? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what. I know that's um, a, that's a bit of a <laughs> dangerous. It question. wasn't. It wasn't actually that. Um, scientifically measured from what I could see, but mm -hmm. you know, from the few cases that I know of, mm -hmm. it was it was not <laughs> recreational doses. Put it that way. Wow. Uh, the the one case that that comes to mind is uh, a WMD scientist that uh, mistook a thirteenth story window for a walk in the park and fell to his death. Oh wow! You know, I'm, I guess I'm not an, an LSD aficionado, but yeah. I would imagine it would take a lot of LSD to make a mistake like that. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like uh, you definitely got to be uh, past the point of uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole MK Ultra um, uh, project is really fascinating, and I mean, it's crazy. And, and I may be kind of splintering off a little bit, but for example, like somebody like Charles Manson. He seemed to know a bit about the power of LSD and how it could be used for mind control. And, you know, we also what, uh, you know, happened after that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I I think mind control just kind of uh, conjures up all these uh, sci-fi images in my head. But it, it seems it seemed to have been a very, very real project that achieved some sort of uh, significant results. Well, if you look at the at the shopping list that uh, um, the agency was looking for mm -hmm. in these various agents, and they, they were looking for uh, these compounds that would really compromise people, right, and get them to do things that that could really embarrass them. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine um, an agent taking a scientist out for a weekend picnic, right. uh, you know, slipping something in their Kool Aid, and then taking home movies. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. and taking the home movies, you know, back to their uh, back to their report and the, their report calling the scientist in and say, you know, Herb, we need we need some help in your department. You, you don't want these home movies to affect your security clearance, do you? Right. Honestly, I'd like to say that I did not know this aspect about their experimentation, and I mean, as it stands, 
feeding people, whether um, they're expecting it or not, feeding people these uh, chemicals is bad enough as it stands, right? Yeah, I, I'm not defending it. Yeah, no, I, I, I realize that. And it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just putting out there that I, it's really hearing it any number of times, you know. It, it's still shocking every time to know that they would do something like that and then taking these videos away. I mean... Well, that, I'm suggesting that. Okay, I, I don't no, really I mean, know that, but I'm yeah. trying to think, put myself in the position of, of a counterintelligence agent, yeah, you know, course, wanting yeah. to, to get somebody to do something, I and that would be the perfect yes, way to do and it. And it makes, it makes sense. I mean, you want to get the most out of it at that point, right? As, right. And that is the way to get the most out of it. But you also have to understand the pressure that uh, the agency was under at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you have to understand where Ultra started. It was um, the German scientists who started the program mm -hmm. in Germany. Yeah. Wow. On mm -hmm. Soviet spies. Yeah, no, so honestly, I, I think I'm, that I'm not I saying it's right because it's against uh, the Nuremberg Accords. It's considered torture. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm not I'm not defending it, but you could see how under those circumstances, agency personnel could say, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm hmm. You see, I'm not again, I'm not defending no, honestly, it. Honestly, no, not it's I, right. I want to make it clear that I'm really enjoying your non-biased um, balanced point of view i cool. i'm really enjoying listening to that and i've always been a big believer in that you know don't don't go straight for one point but straight in the middle all all of these people i believe were heroes they they really they um did something did their best well you know no matter what side you were on, whether you were Soviet or whether you were, you know, working for the Third Reich, you really did your best. You gave your you gave your all for this cause because you believed in it, or you're trying to protect yourself or your family. Um, I don't I don't really see any bad people here. I really don't. I try not to. Maybe yeah. that's why I don't see bad people here. But you know, we did get through a very dark and dangerous time. You know, maybe just by the skin of our teeth, but you know, we 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 didn't destroy the world, which we could have done. Yeah, and we got through. And it. <laughs> and we actually, you know, came through it, and maybe we can be the better for it. Um, we were talking about nightcap earlier, and in document number ten, we have something called the nightcap uh, complaint. Can you tell me a little bit about this particular document? This is this is funny because um, in the in the vacuum that was created by Grudge. Uh huh. Uh, which was, you know, no reports are, aren't going anywhere. And the, the, also the vacuum uh, created by Mockingbird, the, mm -hmm. the press vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, these independent agencies sprung up, including NICAP, the National Investigative Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And, and this was formed by some pretty credible people, mm -hmm. scientists, you know, military people, former military people. Um, as I said, you know, this a former... Uh, CIA director later joined their board and it drove law enforcement freaking crazy because you know law enforcement was doing its best to help the agency with their program I think wow. Wow. and that and, and, and you know 
NICAP was looking like it was, you know, if, if grudge was a counterintelligence operation, uh-huh. NICAP was undermining that operation. See? Wow. So, you know, the, uh, here we have uh, the Air Force telling, asking uh, J. Edgar Hoover, mm-hmm. you know, what the FBI could do to uh, silence NICAP. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and basically, so basically, this was a complaint to Hoover, yep. asking him to, you know, do something to uh, to yeah, take keep care of these people, line. yeah, shut them down, get get them gone, period. Oh boy, um, uh, and I know we we exchanged uh, some uh, information prior to the show, um, and you may reference the close encounters of the third kind. You mentioned in that movie, which obviously is one of my favorites, as you can imagine, um, there is a, a certain character in a French accent, right? And I remember early on in the movie, people are, you know, some somebody asked, like, who is this guy? Like, you know, how can he be French and be working with the U.S. government? Right. Um, and the information you provided me, you tell me that, that he was a member of this group, Nightcap. That is strongly suggested by the movie. He's not government. Mm-hmm. He's clearly not government because the military is looking at clearing that devil's post pile area where the mothership comes down and, mm-hmm. you know, Richard Dreyfus is, you know, all these people are, you know, drawn to it. Right. And, uh, it, it looks to me because they were never associated with the government. I mean, there was maybe a vague connection, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was like the military was there and had a completely different purpose mm-hmm. than these, this independent team. Like I said, that is one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, my dad introduced me to that film and he loves it. And I remember, um, you know, growing up, he would tell me that he felt that that movie showed a lot of how UFOs and and their sightings and the government involvement, it showed a a pretty accurate portrayal. And the older I got, and I would look into this from time to time, you know, you, you read blogs about it, and it seems that Spielberg had... (laughs) an extremely, extremely thorough understanding of government procedures and et cetera, et cetera. In these documents that you've researched or or just in your research in general, (coughs) what can we take from Close Encounters of the Third Kind as being pretty much accurate to the reality of the time? That and other movies too, Frank. I I I was thinking about Dr. Strangelove today. Oh, right. And how accurate that was to depict the, the this Cold War period, Kubrick you know, where you have Peter Sellers stuff, playing yeah. this crazed German scientist who just can't keep his arm from, you know, doing the Sig Heil thing. Right, right. right? And, and the gung-ho generals and Slim Pickens writing the atom bomb down. I mean, these are the, these are the character types, although, you know, exaggerated, that were right. actually there at the time. And it's, it's amazing how these... Uh, movie producers really nailed it, and I'm I'm with you on uh, on Close Encounters. It was amazing how Spielberg was able to uh, get the message long before I did. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's a it's a very very interesting film. Now, as as we've gone over some of these documents and you've explained to us what these are, you know, I can't help but but draw some comparison between you and uh, Gary McKinnon, and granted you didn't hack anything to obtain these documents, but uh, obviously, I I mean, for the people that might not be familiar with uh, McKinnon, he, I believe, was from Scotland. 
if I'm not mistaken. It was McKinnon. McKinnon. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, that's the I life think, to go by. <laughs> I think it was from Scotland. He hacked into the, some of the military computers and government computers here in the U.S. And he claims to have found evidence that, among other things, that the U.S. has some kind of contact with uh, extraterrestrials and that there is an off earth a station if you will uh in in our orbit and um, some very interesting um allegations and he speaks about this in a very matter-of-fact tone uh you know i'm i'm hard-pressed to to believe that he's lying but have you found anything in these documents that would point to some kind of secret space program or or something of the, to that uh, extent i think probably the closest that i got to that was the absence of certain documents. Mm. For example, um, the, the incident at Rendlesham Forest in England or in the 1970s wasn't mm. there. There was a very well-known uh, uh, UAP uh, incident uh -huh. at a military base in the Rendles Rendlesham Forest in the UK in the 1970s. Is that what they refer to as the, the, the UK's Roswell? or is this a No, no, well, it, it might be, but it's I, I know it's it, Rendlesham is one of the words. Mm -hmm. um, Bent Waters is another word. Okay. You can find it through that. There was another incident that wasn't mentioned, and that's the, there was a supposedly a, a, a craft recovered at Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Mm. Okay. That wasn't in these. And there was another, the most famous one of them all, is the, the, the Roswell, New Mexico incident. There was no report. There was publicity, uh -huh. but there was no report. If it was a weather balloon that crashed, I mean, mm. technically, there should have been a report. Right. Because there was some confusion in the media, and, and that, you know, I'm thinking that should have been investigated, and there should be a report. Now, those are missing. But probably the most curious one of all is the delay of the, the release of the, of the, the grudge documents. That were that were finally released in 2011. Now, you know, one there's one possible explanation for the delay of those, mm -hmm. which ties into the 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 German scientist management that I can think of, and that is that um, most of the German scientists that we got were born before 1915, because anybody anybody after that went to the Eastern Front, right? Oh, right, right. right. Then if you're a baker, a scientist, didn't matter. You're going, dude, right? So, um, but anybody like uh, like uh, uh, von Braun was born in 1912, right? So he he was it was an older generation. So by 2011, um, the Air Force could be pretty much assured that all the German scientists were dead. Oh wow! Right, which might be why the last of those documents was released. Now there's a possibility that there are more documents to be released, and mm -hmm. maybe what you're talking about will be discovered in other documents. But the, but the hole in that theory is that you would see some pretty heavy redactions in the documents that are here referring to that, mm -hmm. and I don't really see that, right. unless it's a higher classification. I don't really see evidence of that. I'm not saying it, it didn't happen or it couldn't happen, but I haven't really seen any evidence to suggest it other than what I've just told you. Wow. And we're we're almost out of time, but I want to get to another document here to to close because this one's obviously really interesting and pretty close to home. If you could guide us through uh, number thirteen, which is uh, titled "California Alien Encounter," what, <laughs> what can you favorites. tell me about that? <laughs> one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> this was a guy who worked at a at a missile plant near Sacramento, uh, California, called Aerojet. Okay. And Aerojet made parts for the Titan rockets. 
So Aerojet was a big part of the space program and the um, the, the the ICBM in a missile program. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this guy um, is it's a really amazing story. This this is um, a guy who was uh, uh, deer hunting with a bow and arrow uh-huh. in the Sierras and uh, got separated from his hunting party and was forced to spend the night in the forest. Right. And uh, he spotted what looked like helicopters coming after him in the, in the evening light, but noticed that they weren't making any noise. But he just thought, well, maybe it's the wind direction or whatever. So he built three signal fires on the nearest ridge line to get their attention. And then he noticed that one of them dropped something. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he heard some some something coming up through the through the brush in his direction. So he climbed up a tree. He was a little bit alarmed. Didn't know it could be a bear or a lion or God knows what. And right. lo and behold, by this story, uh, these two characters with no necks and bulging eyes and spacesuits on, and you know they were not from here. Right, right. <laughs> were looking, pointing at him, making cooing sounds to one another. Oh wow. And he was scared to death. They didn't. He said they didn't. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. I started tearing off pieces of my clothing, lighting them on fire, throwing them at them to make them go away. Mm-hmm. And they brought in this. He said it was like a robotic machine that spewed toxic fumes at him, oh, wow. forced him higher into the tree, where he woke up the next morning wow and this is the this is the most one of the most bizarre stories that i could find probably not the most bizarre story that was there because i obviously didn't get through all the documents in the short period of time mm-hmm. but this is a really amazing story and the the sad part about this story is that the investigators concluded that the that the cause of the of the sighting was psychological oh wow so you could see how that could affect this guy's security clearance. Right, 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 of course. He did the right thing. He he reported it, but also what's significant about this this uh, this document or this report is that he didn't report it directly. He he and a lot of other contractors had gotten a memo by this time that if you make reports directly, you're going to get into trouble. So he made the report through a third party. Wound right. up in the hands of a newspaper reporter. So these uh, investigators had to, you know, sort of pick and find their way back to this guy mm-hmm. because the, the the initial reports never identified him by name. But you could just imagine how this looked on the guy's record. Wow. Yeah. Let me see because I I know we got a few minutes. Let's, why don't we do? Let's go to number eighteen because this one's also another interesting one. Call this one's titled "The Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying <laughs> Objects." Yeah. Um, did you find anything unusual uh, about this particular study? Yeah, this this is a this is a study. This is an anomaly. I, I've I've uh, I've done other research projects, and and documents like this turn up in other research projects. Uh, the way this document is done, it's impossible to download. It's a scientific study that, that was commissioned by the Air Force, mm-hmm. done by the University of Colorado. You can there's a link that will take you to the site, mm-hmm. but you cannot download the document. Hmm. One, if you could even download the document, it comes up blank, completely blank. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, you know, the only other documents that ever, ever come across like this uh, were the, uh, there was a RAND uh, Corporation document on uh, military 
expansion. There was another one. It was the 9-11 Commission document on, you know, the whatever happened on 9-11. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two documents I've ever run across that behave like this, that were secured documents that you couldn't append to another document or you had problems with somehow. But this was, uh, as far as the report itself, excuse me, this was the, uh, the so-called Condon report. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I agree with a part of this report. This was obviously a, a report that was slanted to a predetermined finding by the Air Force to kind of back up Project Grudge or the whole point of Project Grudge that, mm-hmm. hey, these things are no big deal and we shouldn't pay any attention to them. But it didn't really address whether, they, whether UAP was real and that we should pay attention to them. What it said was that they, whatever it was wasn't a threat to our national security at this time. Okay. And I have to say that I, I agree with, with that statement. They're not a threat to our national security at this time. You know, whatever, whatever it is hasn't shot back. Whatever it is um, hasn't you know, held, held any of our people for ransom and, and put them on YouTube in beheading videos. <laughs> right, uh, right. I have to agree with that part of the report. On the other hand, a lot of report critics, including uh, Alan Hynek, which is one of the probably the premier researchers on UAP, uh, came out and, and, and pointed out right away what a slanted report it was. And I could see his point, too, looking through the report. It cherry picks uh, reports, uh, mixes them in with ridiculous reports, assigns uh, the people who worked on this report, granted, were agnostics, self-proclaimed agnostics, but none of them had ever done any research on UAP. So it was, you know, kind of in a way, the report kind of pulled the wool over the public's eyes mm-hmm. in some ways, I felt, but I couldn't disagree with the findings of the report either. That is really interesting, uh, Marty. And uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And uh, as people probably gather by now, Marty McFly is not your real name. Uh, you, no, you, it's definitely his real name. <laughs> it's as real as Project Blue Book, as, as, as he uh, wisely put. Uh, but, I, I mean, what in closing, I mean, what would you want people to know or walk away with after this interview and discussing all these uh, documents? I think probably the, the main thing is, um, like the NSA monograph, the, the conclusion of that was, uh, you know, uh, keep your eyes open and watch your step. Mm-hmm. But also watch your mouth, mm. because th- this is not uh, the the, uh, the the time period that it was 20 years ago. There are certain I call them dog whistles that that we can avoid using and avoid bringing unwanted attention on ourselves. Uh-huh. I would I would say that um, now that you know history has turned in in favor of those quote aluminum foil cap wearers who believe in uh, the the UFOs and flying saucers and UAP. All you know, they were right. Okay, mm-hmm. they were right. These things do exist. The, the government admits that now. Yeah. But on the other hand, using the word UFO brings uh, unwanted attention on yourself. Uh, same thing with using the word CIA, FBI, NSA. Uh, using the word uh, you know WMD. Using the word project in front of any other thing. Right. Get will get you unwanted attention. Um, it's the kind of thing, you, you test it in private conversation. If it's something that make, makes people roll their eyes or, uh, you know, act dismissively toward you, yeah, it's probably something that'll do the same on a telephone call or an email or a text. And so, you know, you watch your step by watching your mouth. And I'm not saying that to talk down to anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just common sense. Of course, of course. Marty, thank you so much for your time. I, these are, I mean, is, is there any way 
um, that people can get these documents or can we, as people that tune into this show know, in the next day or two, we, we upload the show and post it on our website. Are these documents that people can find or do you think it's okay for us to? You're, maybe- you're welcome to all these documents. I, I feel that um, this is the kind of research that um, the more the merrier. The more people have documents like this, the better decisions um, that everybody can make and, you know, we're... Mm. A stronger people in a stronger country for that. And lucky for us to have uh, people like you in, in, in the world that are, are so dedicated to this and, and, and take time to go through all this and and then share this this information and findings with, with the rest of us. Uh, uh, I really appreciate it, uh, Marty. It's, it's, it's been a great show, and, and I know that this is only the first of uh, many to come, because, <laughs> uh, or at least I'm, I'm uh, uh, extending an invitation to you to come on this show and, and share with everyone. I might come back as Huckleberry Finn next time. You never know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Marty. Uh, we really appreciate it. We're going to be in touch. And I will let you know when all this is posted on our website so that uh, we Thank get you. your approval and hopefully everything it's uh, Thanks. on Thanks for your good work. And uh, Thank by you the way, so much. keep your eyes open and watch your step. Yeah. Will do, That's Marty. I've really appreciated your delivery. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, have a great night. Okay. Thank you. You too. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Genevieve. Give me some final thoughts here oh, as we... Oh, goodness. I'm trying to smell on my hiccups here, you know, all day. <laughs> I keep thinking I've gotten rid of my hiccups. You call them hiccups, right? Yeah. And I can't. Every five minutes they come back and I... It's it's awful. I can't even talk. I mean, it, it means I've got a good excuse to let you lead the interview, well, but still. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, uh, really fascinating no, information. Uh, we yeah, will be definitely. posting these documents on our website, WTRradio.com, in the next uh, couple of days. Check back uh, because obviously this is another great, great interview. And, and uh, for the sake of keeping everything uh, you know, as anonymous as possible, shout out to uh, the person that put us in touch and allowed this show to happen. It's, it's been great. No, honestly, you know, I am always very pro in terms of people who are agnostic, non-biased. They approach something neutrally, you know. He was the epitome of that. He approached it as neutrally as you could. Yeah. Like, yes, this is very compelling evidence, but I will give it, you know, like... I'll give it a benefit of doubt, but like I'm not gonna go straight for it and believe it outright. You know, he mm-hmm. he was a very leveled character and had a very leveled thinking ground, yeah. and that's what I liked about him, and that's why I would be very happy to listen to his thoughts again. Absolutely. So shout out to uh, Marty McFly skyping in all the way from Hill Valley, California. No, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> it very really much. was, and we want to thank everyone that uh was with us tonight uh if you missed any part of it as i said this show will be posted on our website mm-hmm. very very soon along Thank with the you documents for and i'm yeah. sorry some of you got to join in a bit late but yeah. hopefully you still got the better late the than never honestly though i feel this interview in particular it it was important to listen to the first half it's not something you can jump into halfway through yeah so definitely um be on the lookout uh follow us on twitter wtr radio uh, on twitter check out the website wtr like i said 
So we'll be posting the show on there and we'll let everybody know. So feel free to, uh, you know, uh, share with your uh, friends and neighbors. It's uh, It was a, uh, another amazing show. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in and checking it out and staying up late with us. Uh, we, we appreciate it and we do it for you guys because it's a lot of fun. Uh, that being said, take care, be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. We are going to, uh, yeah, bid you farewell. <laughs> I ran out of words. I Good literally night, did. People. See you Take next care. Bye bye, guys. Don't forget to tune in on Thursdays. No other flavors. Thursdays, nine o'clock. Request any song you want. If it's ridiculous, I I've am gotten a few complaints that definitely um, more likely to play it. No other flavor podcasts are never up. I know. I. Blah, 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 blah. I will, okay. I will have people know that I remind <laughs> her every week. No. All right. <laughs> Take care, guys. <laughs> bye bye. Independent FM. New York, London, Philadelphia, Japan, Chicago, Paris, San Francisco, Tijuana, Los Angeles, California. The Independent FM, Indie Radio, live from Swing House Studios in Hollywood. This is the all-new Independent FM.